All right. So we're going to be going through a, a new mini-series for the next four weeks that go through our core commitments as a church. So Christopher and I were, were talking about this, and uh, we really decided like well, it's important for people to know uh, what we're about and what we want to be known for as a church uh, beyond, beyond these walls. So you might have seen some of these. This is a screenshot from our website, so don't feel like you have to read it because it's pretty much impossible to read. Uh, but you probably have seen this around. I, I think it's on the billboard out there. If it's not, the focus thing is out there, which stem from these, uh, these four commitments. So this is the core of what we believe and also how we do church. So not just personally, although most of these have implications for us personally, especially the one that we're going to be talking about today, but also implications for the church body as a whole. And I think it's important to note that, uh, that the implications beyond the walls of this church have an implication to, to uh, reach the, the next generation with the gospel. And that's a generation, and not just my generation, but the generation beyond me, the Gen Zers, who really have kind of this arms distance with the church. And and we've seen my my generation, the millennial generation, start to kind of head back to the church. A lot of them maybe have grown up in the church or, or, or at least, you know, here and there been involved in the church, but we've seen them kind of start to head back to the church as we figure out, well, we don't really know all that much. And we start to have kids, and then we're like, oh, shoot. <laughs> like, this is, a, a, being a pro- this is becoming, becoming a problem, right? And so, uh, but there, there's still like this kind of animosity even towards the church where they, it's, it's almost like the next generation saying, whoa, wait, 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 like, you fooled my parents. Like, you may have fooled my parents, but you're not going to fool me. And just how like we attracted people to the church, how we did church, and and we're going to be talking a little bit about what that that whole fooling part is as we as we talk today through the first core commitment. So we have the four core commitments of uh, Discovery Hills Church. We have the Word of God, the people of God, the mission of God, and the glory of God. So we're going to be talking through the Word of God this morning. So, we believe that God has spoken in the scriptures as the verbally inspired word of God. The Bible is without error in its original writings. It's believed in all it teaches, obeyed in all that it requires, and trusted in all it promises. At Discovery Hills, the Bible is preached is in its entirety, taught in our Bible classes, and studied in our community groups. So, what does this all mean? So first off, I want to start off with uh, this thought, you can't love what you don't know. You can't love what you don't know. So at the, at the surface, like this phrase makes sense. You can love the idea of someone that you haven't met yet, maybe because someone else has described them to you, but you don't actually love them. You can love the idea of something uh, as as you've seen it or 
as, it's, as you understand it, but there's no true, guttural, deep-down affection for anything or anyone that you don't truly know. And, like, maybe the only argument that would go against this is, like, an unborn child. Like, I would accept that as an argument, although I would probably argue that there's this God-built longing and expectation for that child, and, and you know the blessing that is going to come. So there's, it's, that's in maybe a category all in its own. But I love that, like, we all know this intuitively, but uh, Dean, little guy, my son, he's like two, and he thinks he can get away with, you know, trashing this principle altogether. Uh, the classic example is like when I'm eating something, and uh, a lot of times it'll be something, I'll be eating something that I know he's not going to like, and he'll see it, and just because the fact that I'm eating it or Stacy's eating it, uh, he goes, I want that. Like, okay, uh, knowing he's not going to like it, I'm like, okay, well, nobody, you're not going to like it. No, uh, but I do like it. Like, he's so, so sure. He's like, I love it sometimes. He says, I love it. Like, okay, well, here you go. And then spits it out, right? So like, oh, that's yucky. I don't like that. Like, well, I told you. You can't love what you don't know. There's this show out there uh, that's pretty ridiculous. Have you guys ever heard of the show called Married at First Sight? It's a real show. Bizarre idea. Just in the title alone, like it's provocative for a reason. Uh, and so what it is, is like you have this team of experts, experts, we all love the experts, right? The team of the experts that look at this pool of people and like, okay, well, he says this is, you know, this is a deal breaker, deal breaker. Okay, we're going to kind of match make and do you like this guy? Well, we like, then they kind of agree on these couples and then they throw them together. And so you have a bunch of strangers pairing up strangers for marriage, right? Sounds like what could go wrong, right? So it's just a really bizarre idea. And there's always, you know, there's, there's a, a, a couple or two that are like, oh, we're this immediate love connection and like, like okay, well, Anyone watching this is like, oh, you, you just think, well, okay, like, all right, immediate love connection, right. And then they break up, and they're like, oh, like my life is the worst, worst thing that ever happened to me, like two days later. And, uh, and we reinforce this principle just in our own thought. We know this intuitively. You can't love what you don't know. And yet, a lot of times we go against this principle in our lives in the church. And... Uh, the reality is when we think rightly about God, right worship and real love follows. But a, a lot of times I, I think that we can kind of take that uh, affection and kind of put it on like, like a coat. And we're like, okay, well, this is going to draw me closer to God. But, and we'll, we'll sing the songs and we'll engage in like maybe even emotional worship or, or uh, a, a time with God. We're like, oh, we get uh, worked up and emotional about that. Like uh, in youth ministry, it's like that camp high experience. And, uh, and what it really leads to is, is a worship and a praise that's kind of shallow or, or disingenuous. And it can fade as quickly as it comes. And we're going to be reading today in, in Timothy. And this is a, a letter from Paul to Timothy, um, 
who was, he's a, a leader and preacher of the gospel in the church. And Tim, Timothy had accompanied Paul and Silas uh, in their journey through Asia Minor. This is, that's in Acts 16. And Timothy later had been placed as an elder and a teacher in the, the church in Ephesus. So to Timothy, he says, in verse, uh, or chapter 4, verse 1 through 5, he says, Now the Spirit expressly says that in later times some will depart from the faith by devoting themselves to deceitful spirits and teachings of demons. Through the insincerity of liars whose consciences are seared, who forbid marriage and require abstinence from foods that God created to be received with thanksgiving by those who believe and know the truth. For everything created by God is good, and nothing is to be rejected if it is received with thanksgiving. For it is made, by God, made holy by the word of God and prayer. So Paul starts this off by saying in the later times. In later times. This isn't the same language that Paul uses uh, later on in, in uh, 2 Timothy. This is written much later, but 2 Timothy 3, where Paul says, in the last days. These are two separate phrases. In the last days is what we would think, like, okay, well, like end times kind of language. He's saying, in the later times, here in, in 1 Timothy 4, in the later times, meaning like this is kind of an imminent language. He's like, this hasn't completely happened now, but I see this at work around us. It's like, maybe this isn't going to rear its full ugly head until I'm gone, but it's something that I see happening amongst people, even maybe people within the church, but I see it happening that when I'm gone, when I'm long gone and dead, because Timothy's much younger than Paul, so he's going to see these times most likely. When I'm I'm gone and undead, you're going to see these things start to happen within the church, and so I need you to to watch out for. I need you to be warned. So take heed for what is to come. And then he talks about uh, the, these other teachings that kind of abandon God. So I had, a, I had a warning similar to this when I was in, in Bible school. That was a long time ago now, so, so it seems, so it feels. Uh, but I had a teacher who was like, okay, well, we have going on right now in our world, we have this moral relativism. So moral relativism is kind of this idea that uh, everything, like ethics and stuff, they don't really exist. There's no true uh, benchmark for ethical behavior. It's really kind of just what you feel in your heart. It's really like what you do, if it feels right, like it is right for you. And, and this whole idea of like, you know, like relative truth too, it's like this whole idea of, well, it's your truth, that phrase drives me insane. I hear it all the time. It's your truth. That's your truth. I'm just trying to live my truth. It's like, that doesn't mean anything. You're just trying to live your opinion? Like, there's no such thing as your truth. There is the truth, God's truth, and that's it. There's the ethics, the morality, and that's God's ethics and morality. But she was talking about, like, okay, well, there's moral relativism, and then she's like, okay, what's coming, what, she's, like, what I see happening is that transforming kind of into this, uh, this deistic relativism or this, this uh, religious relativism, where it's like, well, all roads lead to heaven. Like, there's this wide path. And, of course, this has been an idea, this isn't a new thing, but kind of this idea that, you can, you can take 
a, you know, what you like from this God here and this God here and this God here, this, this, this. And you can just kind of add them together, and that's your religious truth. And, of course, that's really started, I mean, really come to fruition. Is we don't really believe anything true anymore, like, in, as a culture. It's like there's no one real truth. There's, like, you can barely even huddle around the same minute pieces of morality. Like, we argue about it all the time. And so Paul's warning, like, there's going to be people that are lost, as, as uh, Mary sings in Luke 2, like, lost in the imagination of their hearts. People that are kind of just taking the world as they see it. And uh, he says there's going to be people that are devoting themselves to demonic teachings because there's going to be other people that lead them astray with no recourse for their actions because their consciences are seared. They're just people that, that they love the attention, they love the, the power, they love the influence over people, and they're just going to be taking, sweeping these people away and out of the church. Like that's his warning to Timothy, like this leader in the church, he's like, watch out for this. There's going to be this rise of, of Gnosticism. So this rise of like denying all things physical, denying things that God created to be good. But people kind of taking that on and be like, I'm going to deny myself everything. If I make myself just absolutely miserable, like that's going to be the most righteous I can be. He's like, they're foregoing marriage, they're foregoing food, they're foregoing all these things that God made to be good and all things physical so that they can essentially feel righteous. So it's a religion while abandoning God, embracing religion and abandoning God. And I think that maybe like my generation, the generation after is, is maybe more aware of that kind of stuff than we would think. But I think there's a different, uh, different problem in the, the modern day church that... Uh, that I think we can fall into. And it's not necessarily this, this rise of like religious, of like, oh, we need to do this, do this regiment religion that we think of as false religion. It's on the, kind of on the other side, where it's like, it's like empty grace. Where it's like, oh, like, you know, you do these things for other people, there's grace and love, and it's grace and love, they stand by themselves, like apart from God. And as long as we have that grace and, God, grace and love, we're actually embracing God. You don't know it, but you're embracing God in that, that grace and love. And so it's kind of this repackaged religion where uh, I, like to, I like to call it uh, virtue signaling religion. Where it's, where it's like, yeah, we're going to maybe say the right things or talk the right things, maybe even do the right things here and there. But really it's like, well, what's in our heart that, that matters if we like you know, wish good vibes on other people that, uh, that we're all good, right? So Paul warns against this same kind of stuff in the next chapter. This is uh, much later, 2 Timothy 4. He refers to people's tendency to want to go to a message that, that tickles their ears. He says they have itchy ears. So that people, that, they, they don't want to be challenged. They don't even necessarily want the truth. They want to feel better about themselves and move on without being confronted. And it's a, it's a temptation, right? It's a temptation to say things that, are, that sound nice or sound true without uh, letting Scripture speak for itself. But there, there's a problem here. Is it, it's that my words can come back void, but God's words can't. 
So Hebrews 4.12 says, For the word of God is alive and active, sharper than any two-edged sword, piercing to the division of the soul and spirit of joints and marrow and discerning the thoughts and intentions of the heart. His word is a two-edged sword. It cuts deep. And living in it and knowing the word makes it much harder for us to engage in this this kind of life on the, the fumes of this virtue-signaling religion. God's word is sharp and can cut through the, to the core of our hearts and our beings. And, and our words might be eloquent or they might sound great, uh, but be meaningless in light of the gospel. And so when we operate exegetically, which means that direct interpretation of the text, we take more time to dwell on what God says and to unpack that, not just unpacking, unpacking our own kind of self-help guides that admittedly might actually be helpful. So, and I realize, I mentioned this the first service, I, I, was, I was doing this and I was like, okay, well, you know, exegetical teaching, not topical teaching, like, yeah, it's like, uh, I'm teaching a topical sermon about how topical sermons are bad. So, okay, well, maybe not all topical sermons are bad. Maybe there's a place for it. Like, there has to be, or else, you know, I probably shouldn't be here. But, uh, so, I I understand that this kind of has a built-in irony to it. So, all right, we're going to take a look at our, our core commitments. And really, the core to the core of the, this God word, God's Word text. So first off, God has spoken in the Scriptures as the verbally inspired Word of God. The Bible is without error in its original writings. So 2 Peter 1, verse 16, 16 through 19 says, For we did not follow cleverly devised myths when we made known to you the power and coming of our Lord Jesus Christ, but we were eyewitnesses of His majesty. For when he received honor and glory from God the Father, and the voice was borne to him by the majestic glory, uh, this is my beloved Son with whom I am well pleased. We ourselves heard this very voice born from heaven. We were with him on the holy mountain, and we have the prophetic word more fully confirmed to which you will do well to pay attention as a lamp shining in a dark place until the day dawns and the morning star rises in your hearts. So, yes, yes, myths can be backed up by the Bible. People can be really tricky. And uh, potentially even while they're proclaiming to be exegetical. Peter here says, yeah, there, and there might be other prophetic words out there that are true. There might be other things that God is speaking to you. God may be saying something to you outside of the Bible, but here is the confirmed God-breathed scripture. Test everything against that. Leads to our next text. Hebrews 1, 1 through 2 says, Long ago, at many times and in many ways, God spoke to our fathers by the prophets. But in these last days, he has spoken to us by his Son, whom he appointed the heir of all things, through whom also he created the world. And then moving on to 2 Timothy 3, it says, All scripture is 
breathed out by God and profitable for teaching, for reproof, for correction, and for training in righteousness, that the man of God may be complete, equipped for every good work. So, God spoke it. This is the all. All of the Bible is God breathed, God in, inspired. He, he spoke it in in inerrant as originally written. Theology is a, kind of a, a scary word, but we are all theologians. Theology is is this uh, religious belief. It's a religious belief that we have kind of systematically developed and and uh, kind of these these beliefs that we hold true to to our lives and operate our our lives around and uh, it can be broken down into three different things first we have of dogma which is kind of this core to the faith core to uh, being saved and going to heaven and then we have doctrine and that's generally what's taught by the church and denomination to be true and then we have this other thing called folk Folk theology, and so that's kind of uh, this this popular belief. It can be cultural or regional, but it, it could be even generational. Something that maybe you learned or or uh, has kind of gotten Im- embedded in your brain that uh, may not actually be biblical. Maybe biblical, may not be. But um, like for for me, growing up in the church, there's tons of things that as I've I've grown up. In, in the faith and, uh, you know, studied the scripture and all that, there's many things that I believe that I was like, oh, wait, that's not actually in the Bible. It may be true. It may be good advice. It may be like nothing nefarious, but there's a lot of things that we might kind of drag along with us that are not even necessarily in the Bible. That can be that folk theology. And so the more that we we study what comes out of the word, the more that we study what uh, God has put for us to read, to, uh, to know him better, the more our beliefs, and especially our folk theology, is put into question and tested against the word of God. So, this, the second part of this, it's the Bible is to believe, be believed in all it teaches, obeyed in all it required, and trusted in all it promises. In 2 Peter 1, 19-21, this is a continuation of that other uh, Peter passage we, we read. And we have the prophetic word more fully confirmed to which you will do well to pay attention as to the lamp shining in a dark place until the day dawns and the morning star rises in your hearts. Knowing this, first of all, that no prophecy of Scripture comes from someone's own interpretation. For no prophecy was ever produced by the will of man, but men spoke from God as they were carried along by the Holy Spirit. Kind of stems along this idea of your, your word is a lamp unto my feet and a light unto my path. So not only is, is the word, uh, should the word shed light on our own hearts and our own, our, own, uh, our own souls and our own faith and development and all that, but it, can, it should be guiding our path. Not just, not just uh, changing our heart, but guiding our path. It's the, it's the light to the world around us, and it's a light unto our path. It keeps us from stumble, stumbling through this life in a, in a lot of ways. We're going to continue. Deuteronomy 4. 
And now, O Israel, listen to the statutes and the rules that I am teaching you, and do them, that you may live and go in and take possession of the land that the Lord, the God of your fathers, is giving you. You shall not add to the word that I command you, nor take from it, that you may keep the commandments of the Lord your God that I command you. So we should be taking all that we read to heart. Do our actions really represent someone who actively follows the word and allows it to change our hearts? Like we may not have, as this verse says, we may not have that promise. And we may not have physical land that God is calling us to and be like, hey, stick within my blessing. You're going to receive this land. But there's, there's a this rings true for our lives in a different way in that we look at the New Testament, we look at things that God has promised us. He's promised us a full, fulfilled life in Christ. He pr- promises us an extravagant life in Christ. And it may not have to do with land or possessions, but he he's calls us to a life more fully awakened in him, a life that's more conformed to him, a life that's uh, fulfilling and, and brings out in us the, everything that he has designed us to be. And he calls us into that life. And as we embed ourselves in scripture, the more and more he's going to be calling that life out of us and conforming our hearts more to the person that he has made us to be. Jeremiah 15, 16 says, Your words were found, and I ate them. Your words became to me a joy and the delight of my heart. For I am called by your name, O Lord, God of hosts. God's word becomes the joy and comfort of those who read it. The more we read, the more we realize God's extravagant love and his, and his intricate plan to draw us into his kingdom, into himself. Romans 15, 4 says, For whatever was written in the former days was written for our instruction, that through endurance and through the encouragement of the scriptures we might have hope. God's word is, is hope for the hopeless. It's restoration for the broken. And as we read it, allow it to not only challenge us, but allow it to restore our hearts to the living hope that can be found in Christ Jesus. So the last part of our, our core commitment. At Discovery Hills, the Bible is preached in its, in its t- entirety, taught in our Bible classes and studied in our community groups. So some of the basis for this is, uh, comes in 2 Timothy 4, 1 through 5. It says, I charge you in the presence of God, and of Christ Jesus, who is to judge the living and the dead, and by his, his appearing and his kingdom, preach the word, be ready in season and out of season, Revo- reprove, rebuke, exhort with complete patience and teaching. For the time is coming when people will not endure sound teaching, but, have, but having itching ears, that's the part I was talking about earlier, but having itching ears, they will accumulate for themselves teachers to suit their own passions and will turn away from listening to the truth and wandering off into myths. As for you, always be sober-minded, endure suffering, do the work of an evangelist, and fulfill your ministry. So we must realize our, our tendency to gravitate towards teaching that sounds right to us. It's important to not, for us not to just take in teaching that 
well, it's, it's just in my style or, or teaching that gets us pumped up. Not that any of that is, is necessarily bad, bad, but that kind of stuff can trick you into believing that something is true or biblical when it's not. Uh, Joshua 8, 34-35. And afterward, he read all the words of the law and the blessing and the curse according to all that is written in the book of the law. There was not a word of all that Moses commandment commanded that Joshua did not read before all the assembly of Israel and all the women and all the little ones and, all the, and the sojourners who lived among them. So we must remember that all God's word is equally inspired by him. And it's important that the longer we are on this journey towards spiritual maturity, that we seek to comprehend and, and retain more and more of the Bible. Psalm 119 says, I, verse 11, I have stored up my word, I have stored up your word in my heart that I might not sin against you. Stored up my, your word in my heart that I might not sin against you. And it says in this Joshua passage that he said everything. He said everything, the blessings, the curses. A lot of times, you know, we don't, we want to pick and choose pieces of the Bible. He said Joshua gave everything. It's like, oh man, like how many times have uh, we heard, you know, Bible studies or, you know, devotional books that talk about like some of the hard topics in the Bible. Like there's some that are out there, but like, like Jeremiah, who's like, God, you tricked me. Like you, you completely tricked me. Here I was serving you and you completely like threw me away. Like you abandoned me, you tricked me. Or David, who's like, God, like, where are you? I don't see you. I, all this stuff is going on and you're nowhere to be found. Or the classic Ecclesiastes, like everything's meaningless. It all sucks. Like, there's nothing new. Like, right? Like, where, where's, the, where's the passages about, uh, you know, nations getting destroyed? God's wrath being stored up. But it says here that in, uh, in Joshua that he shared everything. And so I, I do believe that there should be a little bit of an asterisk addendum to this in that all of God's word is important. All, God, all of God's word is uh, equally inspired, but it's not all equally as important. I know that, hold on, I know. That sounds heretical, so before you start emailing Chris right now, like, uh, we do this, like we're doing this right now. We're doing this right now. All of God's word is not equally important. It's all important, but it's not all equally important. Like, it's, let's say a, a, someone comes up to you and they're like, hey, I'm a brand new Christian. I've never read anything in the Bible. I know nothing about the Bible. Where are you going? This is telling right here. Where are you going to point them? You're going to point them to Nahum? Like, no, probably not. You're like, oh, have I even read Nahum? Like, they, like, you're going to point them to a, a God who's like, yeah, we're going to just smash a city, like, brutal. We're going to tear people apart. You're going to point them to, to the, the God that, like, you're, like, already, you know, concerned that they believe only one aspect of God, that he's, he's brutal and, and uh, wants to smite everyone. 
Like, yeah, Nahum is a part of, the, uh, part of the Bible. Yeah, it's equally inspired. Yeah, God does have that justice. But where are you going to point them? You're probably going to point them to, like, I don't know, the gospel somewhere. Like, if it were me, I'd be like, you need to start out in John or something along those lines. Like, you, we're going to introduce you to this, this uh, <clears throat> we're going to introduce you to this Jesus fella, Right? Because that's the core of the Bible. Like the Gospels talk about how, how all Scripture points back towards the cross. It all culminates all in this grand narrative towards the one true Savior that gave up everything for our sins, that gave up everything so that we can, can enter into his kingdom, that while we were unrighteous, while we were enemies of God, that while we were Nineveh getting bashed it, like while we were destined for that end, he plucked us out and Im- imputed his righteousness on us. Like that is the story that we want people to hear first, right? So, all scripture is God breathed, and uh, and we we want to understand all scripture. Next, John 16, when the spirit of truth comes, he will guide you into all the truth, for he will not speak on his own authority, but whatever he hears, he will speak, and he will declare to you the things that are to come. He will glorify me, for he will take what is mine and declare it to you. All the Father has is mine, therefore I said that he will take what is mine and declare it to you. So allow the spirit, allow the spirit to work in your life and convict you. Allow God's word and through the spirit to to work in your lives. Like we're going to, we're going to beat on this, this drum a lot today that, that people's words might be true. They might be convicting. They might be eloquent. They might be biblical, but they are not the Bible. And no matter the, the, excellence or the intentions of people, people are still fallible. Trying to figure out time because I skipped this part, but I really want to read it, so I think I have time. All right. Uh, um, So he warns us, keep ourselves in the word. There's a story in Galatians 2. We're going to read it really quick. I didn't get to read this, but I think I'm ahead of schedule. So here we go. Uh, Galatians 2. So um, Peter comes. um, So Peter comes to Antioch in Syria where where Paul lived, and they had this this whole interaction. And uh, so when, but when Cephas, so that's his, his given name, the rock Hebrew, came to Antioch, I opposed him to his face because he stood condemned. For before certain men came from James, he was eating with the Gentiles. But when they came, he drew back and separated himself, fearing the circumcision party. And the rest of the Jews acted hypocritically along with him, so that even Barnabas was led astray by their hypocrisy. But when I saw that their conduct was not in step with the truth of the gospel, I said to Cephas before them all, If you, though a Jew, live like a Gentile, not like a Jew, how can you force the Gentiles to live like Jews. So he, he confronts Peter and opposes him to his face over, over a serious issue. 
And it just goes to show that, that not everyone's perfect. Like here we even have Peter. Like even Peter wasn't perfect. And, and Paul even uses his, his Christ-given name, like the, the rock. Like Peter, I, like I know you're the core and the foundation that, that God's going to build his church. I know that you are the guy that God commissioned to build his church in glorification of him. But, and then he lays it out for him. People are infallible, and, and no matter the intention, intentions or excellence, uh, people can lead you astray. So be rooted in the truth. Which leads us to uh, the last point. We're going to be jumping back into Timothy here. Silly myths. And so we're going to be starting out with kind of, what, like, what do we do now? And... Uh, we're going to start out with the answer, like Jeopardy style. So here we go. We're going to start with the end. Verse 16. Keep a close watch on yourself and on the teaching. Persist in this, for by so doing you will save both, uh, you, will save both yourself and your hearers. So Paul tells Timothy, in order to be not uh, dragged away, immerse yourself in his word, dwell on it. And he, he comes in here and he says, Paul says, there's going to be those of you who are right here. There's going to be those of you who are sitting amongst you. Those of you who, who are, are part of the greater body of the church. It's like there's going to be some of those people who, who fall away. They're going to fall for the, the religion is, that's void of knowing and trusting and believing in the one true God. And so he says, Timothy, if you guard your life and you guard your, your doctrine carefully, then you're not going to fall away, but you're, you will keep the faith. And all those people around you, all those people that you have influence over, you're going to drag them along with you in a good way. It's a good dragging. In verse 6, Paul continues, First uh, Timothy 4, 6, if you put these things before the brothers, you will be a good servant of Christ Jesus, being trained in the words of the faith and of the good doctrine that you have followed. Have nothing to do with irreverent, silly myths. Rather, train yourself for godliness. For while bodily training is of some value, godliness is of value in every way, as it holds promise for the present life and also for the life to come. The saying is trustworthy and deserving of full acceptance. For to this end we toil and strive because we have our hope set on a living God who is the Savior of all people, especially of those who believe. Command and teach these things. So, we fall into this trap a lot of times where a lot of what we want to do is just impart morality. And uh, a lot of times our, our chief goal is, is our actions align with the morality that we hope for. And in youth ministry, we call this uh, behavioral modification. Like a lot of times that's, you know, that's, that's what even parents want is, well, we want their behaviors to improve. We want them to ad adapt to a better morality. But we do them a disservice when we 
do just that and we leave out the gospel. Kind of like the same that we were talking about earlier. It's like, it's like kind of like a, a dead worship. We put in that, that morality on, but the heart isn't changed. What Paul is starting to lay out here is, is a guide to a, a gospel-centered worldview. Where you allow the, the scripture into your heart, allow it to change your heart, and then, then changes how you behave, it changes how you see the world, it changes how you see uh, reality itself, changes how your relationships and, and what you, how you deal with joy, how you deal with pain and success and failure. And all of these things that you start to see filtered through this lens of the gospel. And so we must immerse ourselves. And he says, don't get deceived by the myths. I think it's a lot easier sometimes than we think. And it would be a trap, something that sounds good or sounds biblical, but it actually treats symptoms rather than the, the core heart of the matter. When the word of God is at the core of who we are, it's like a, the, a ballast on the ship. It keeps us centered. It continues, as we read multiple times, it continues to correct. It continues to rebuke. And it continues to direct us towards the, the truth that... Continues to direct us to God, to Christ, to the reality of His cross. He talks about how uh, some people they, they get caught up in this bodily training. He says he's like that might be of some good value. And uh, of course, when we read that, we think, okay, well, like you know, working out and all that kind of stuff. And you know, surely that's that's you know, what he's talking about, like, oh, there's this bodily training, like, yeah, that's good, that's a good thing, you're taking care of yourself and all that, and I, I, I think, well, what is that, what would that look like for the church, like, as a whole, like, if this is core to who we believe, like, what would that look like for the church, and I think a lot of times the church can get kind of caught up in that whole idea, like, you could call it the virtue signaling, you could call it, like, the, the bodily, you know, workouts or whatever, but I, I think a lot of times we, we uh, forget what our church, church is really about. In that we, we tend to see the chief goal of church as, as our influence in society. Or the chief goal, like let's say our chief goal in the church is to like solve even like really good things. Our chief goal in the church is to is to end drug addiction. Our chief goal in the church is to end homelessness. Our chief goal in the church is to end hunger, whatever it is. And a lot of times we take those social justice issues and we, we raise that as, well, this is our chief goal as a body believers. And then we kind of push everything else aside because we're like, well, no, this is ministry. Well, no, Jesus is the center. Jesus has always been the center. There's a... And I, I've seen this happen with, with so many where they get lost in, as, as, they, 
as Mary says in Luke 2, lost in the imagination of your hearts, where it's like there's, there's these different uh, ideas that seem so good, so wholesome, and maybe, yeah, maybe they are, but we seek those as a chief goal in our, our lives and religion with the abandonment of everything else. And I see this happen amongst uh, especially young people. Like I, I was at a, a coffee shop this morning and I saw one of my former youth students and I, w- I hadn't seen her in, I don't even know, years maybe, but I, you know, social media and all that, I kind of know what's going on in her life. And so she, she was, you know, asking me what I'm doing and I was like, you know, reading through some of my notes and I was, and you know, just enjoying my morning, and, and I was, so she started talking to me about church. She started talk, talking to me about, uh, you know, where she's kind of gone to church. A lot of times conversations end up there, but it wasn't like, you know, I, I know her. It wasn't like, you know, well, I've, I've, I've gone to church too. Like, she doesn't care. She doesn't care what I think, but uh, not generally in that way, but to lie anyways. But she was talking about church and like, oh, like, you know, we went to this, I went to this uh, you know, this candle lighting thing at Christmas, and she's, like, talking about all these other, like, churches that she, she had gone to. She's like, I went to this, one of the most interesting ones I went to was this Greek Orthodox church, and I was like, Ooh. and she was like, I loved it because, you know, we, we went, and they're like, you know, uh, the, all the liturgy kind of stuff. She was describing what they say, oh, yeah, like, all the liturgical stuff, like, and, uh, and she was like, it's really interesting to, you know, have that, you know, that tradition, like all that kind of stuff. And she was, she was describing to me her experience. And all I could think of was like, man, here's someone that is like, this is, the, she's the, she's like the uh, epitome of what Paul is, is warning here in Timothy. It's like, this is a kid that, like, her parents are, are both Christians, or she went to a Christian school, she, like, grew up, she knew all the answers in youth, she was one that I was like, oh, yeah, she's never going to do anything wrong. Like, I hope my kids turn out like that, and she, she gets out of, of ministry, like, her parents are even on, one of her parents is even on staff at a church, and, and she gets out of ministry, and, and I'm looking at her life, and it's like, oh, man, they're, like, parent they're doing such a good job like raising her in the faith and and helping her uh immerse herself in in the gospel and then she gets out and just gets completely completely lost in in the world and all sorts of things that that maybe sound good to her or things that like make her feel better or more whole or whatever whatever you know, question is, is getting answered. Now I just see her like kind of searching for truth and meaning. And so that's what Paul is talking about here is that if that, if we just immerse ourselves in all this other stuff, it's not going to pull us away. Stuff that sounds good. Like a lot of times people are like, okay, well, if I can just figure out this one problem in the world, like everyone's going to be happy. If I can just solve this one problem, Thing, then everyone's just going to get along. There's, there's going to be peace. But be wary of these things because they're not focused and centered around God. All, a lot of these social justice issues, they, they seek to replace the need for our God. Again, not even necessarily saying they're wrong, but our, our culture, culture basically exists 
to, to fill those gaps that were meant to be filled by God. So then, we go on to how then should we live? We first off, uh, the number one for a reason, immerse yourself in God's word. It's the number one thing we can do to, to keep ourselves from all this, this other noise, all these things that seek to, to pull us away. Second, seek to see problems, relationships, and life through a biblical worldview. Developing like, okay, what do, this is what I believe. This is the gospel and knowing the gospel and holding that close, holding that doctrine close and seeing things through that biblical worldview. And lastly, test even good-sounding advice against God's word. All right, would you guys pray with me, please? God, I, I pray that we would uh, find your word and your truth and that it would continue to convict our hearts and our souls. Pray that we will test everything against uh, your word and your truth, that you would bring to light things in our, our lives that don't align with, with what you've laid out in Scripture. Thank you, God, for your word and your truth. Thank you for uh, all that you have, have taught us and will continue to teach us. And I pray that you would keep us on the straight and narrow path, that you would align our hearts with your values, that align our hearts with your character and, and mold us more and more into the person that you have uh, created us to be. I thank you, God. And, and now I pray that as we uh, reflect on what you've done in our, our own hearts in, in communion, that uh, you would, um, that you would uh, help us position our hearts rightly before you, that, that uh, you would help us seek our hearts, that you would uh, bring to light scriptures that you have, have taught us, and that uh, we would be able to dwell in all that you have done for us and the forgiveness that you offer us. I thank you and I pray this in Jesus' name. Amen.